So I want to start this morning with a, a spiritual point through a, an analogy with world politics, something I noticed that happened a few weeks back and got me thinking about something. And, and the, the thing that happened was a major change in Germany's um, attitude, especially towards supporting Ukraine. And it basically, uh, Germany was very hesitant to, to, to get involved. They saw, Ru- they weren't worried about Russia that much. They never thought Russia would actually invade. And, and so their defense spending was pretty minimal. They wouldn't, weren't aiding Ukraine at all. I think they offered to give them 5,000 helmets and I think even got made fun of for that. And these various things, and they had a very cozy relationship with Russia. In fact, they were working towards a gas pipeline with Russia so that they could get their natural gas. And so they kind of made themselves dependent. And and I, I know that there had been American and, you know, American military people and politicians urging Germany to, to be more wary of Russia and to, it's even more to increase their defense spending. As a NATO country, they were supposed to be spending 2% of GDP on their military, and they were well below that. And it seemed like nothing America could do could persuade Germany to change its direction. But then, when Russia invaded the Ukraine, and and so brutally, you know, doing all that they did, bombing cities and, and killing people and, and such an aggressive, it, it was undeniable now, you know, the, the aggressiveness of, of the Russians and, and of Putin. And, and then I think they also saw the bravery of the Ukrainians in defending their country and Zelensky saying, I don't want an escape plan. I, I, wanna, I want the weapons to fight. And they saw that. And you saw a complete U-turn in the German attitude. They, I, w- I was amazed because I'd kind of followed this a little bit, and they, they're putting a halt to the Nord Stream pipeline. They, I don't know if they've canceled it outright, but at least they're halting that. And they, they increased their defense spending. The, the, you know, the, they said immediately by $100 billion, and they're going to look at increasing it even more as it goes on. And then they, you know, they even decided to send real weapons to help the Ukrainians fight. And there's other areas that they made this change. But what I found interesting is that, that they, we could not convince them, right? Something like it just, you know, nothing we say, we could, they could not be argued into making the switch. It was only when they saw, I guess you could say, that the evil in action that, that motivated. It's only when they saw the reality of evil in this world and, and maybe they saw the Ukrainian resistance, that, that that actually did it. And here's the analogy. As I have worked in my lifetime to try to share Christ with people and wanting them to turn to, turn to the Lord and find salvation and really trying to convince people that they need Jesus, they need forgiveness that they have in Christ, often what you kind of get is shrugs, Right? Well, my life is fine. Oh, the, this nice religious stuff. Yeah, I'll listen a little bit. But they just couldn't see the importance, the need. And especially 
You see, to, to, to really respond to Christ, we have to understand that sin has a hold within us. That our own heart has been corrupted by sinfulness. And not only do we need forgiveness, we need a savior who can pull us out of the mud and mire. And most people would say, and say I'm a decent person. You know, I haven't done anything that bad. God loves me, so, you know, yeah, whatever. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll come to church every so often. Yeah, right? They, they didn't really grasp their, their full need for Christ. And I've learned I cannot preach someone into believing they're a sinner in need of forgiveness. And I've tried, right? I've, you know, you, you try to convey this idea and, and you know what always happens? Someone will say, oh, I wish my blank could have heard that message. My brother-in-law really needed to hear what you had to say today, you know? Everyone can see the, the corruption of sin in others. It's seeing it in yourself that we seem to have this blind, blindness. And until we get that, that if Jesus hadn't died for me, I would be rightfully cast out of God's presence forever. What we call hell. And that's what I would have deserved. Until we get that there's a brokenness in us, a sinfulness in us that needs to be addressed and we needed a savior. Until we get that, I don't think we can really respond to Christ. And so what I'm thinking about is just like Germany could not be convinced to, to increase their defense spending or to take seriously the Russian threat, they had to see evil in action um, I think we can't argue people into it, but it's okay. It's not our job. And what I see is our passage this morning, we could take a, breathe a sigh of relief because it is the work of the Holy Spirit. One of our verses today says, and when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. It is not the job of preachers to convince people how bad they are so that they turn to Jesus. The Holy Spirit has to bring inner conviction into a person's heart. The, the Holy Spirit can convict a person of their sinfulness, their, 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 their reality of sin in their life. The Holy Spirit can convince someone about the truth of Jesus and that he really did, was the Son of God and did all those miracles and 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 is there. And it's the Holy Spirit that ultimately can convert them into someone who's a child of God, can take them from being someone who's lost to someone who's found in a relationship and, and considered a son or daughter of God. So that's the, the, the main point of what I see in what Jesus is saying. And it tailors off of what we talked about last week. If you remember last week, Jesus talked about, don't expect the world to be on your side as you, as you follow me. In fact, you may really face hostility and persecution from the world we live in if you are willing to bear my name. And as Jesus talked about, he talked about how the, the Holy Spirit, the parakletos, the one who comes alongside would be with us 
as we face hostility from the world we live in. And then the last verse in chapter 15, right before our passage today, Jesus says, and you must testify about me. Right? You can't let the world's hostility and opposition keep you from bearing, bearing the news about Jesus in this world. Just because it means you might be disliked or made fun of or face trouble, you still have to bear the message about, you still have to testify to, to the work of Christ in, in our life. So that's how he ended 15. And so then we go into 16. So we get verse 1. And so Jesus says, I've, I've said this to you to keep you from falling away. The, the word falling away is, is cause to stumble that she might not be caused to stumble. Jesus is worried, not worried, but he's warning, like, don't let their opposition cause you to stumble in your faith, right? You are called to walk with me as my disciple, whatever you get from the world. Don't let that cause you to stumble, to fall away from being my disciple. And then he warns, it, it could, the opposition could take some very clear forms, what will that opposition look like? Well, it may look like getting kicked out of the synagogue. There, there will come a time when they will, they will kick you out of the, the synagogue. So realize the original disciples were all Jewish. And so they were a part of the Jewish synagogue in, in their life and time. Later, non-Jews would start to become Christians. But at first, he's saying, so the first round of persecution that believers in Christ face came from um, the, the Jewish authorities as they resisted the idea of thinking of Jesus as the Messiah. So the, many Christians at times are kicked out of the synagogue and, and not, not able to continue with that. And, um, and they faced hostility from their fellow, fellow Jews. And so I think and likewise, we need to be ready that we might face social alienation for the sake of Christ. Right? We may be kicked out of a group because we, we hold true to Jesus. I've been kicked out of a group for that once. Have you? Like that, that could be possible. You, you might face social alienation for following Jesus. That might be one way you experience. The, the second round of persecution, though, came different. It came from the government authorities. It came from the Roman um, governors and other officials, and so Christians in the Roman Empire were punished and even executed for worshiping, for not worshiping the gods of Rome, right? The, the Romans wanted them to worship the, the traditional gods, which would be like Zeus or Jupiter or, or that, you know, the, the kind of the gods of mythology. And then as time went on, they started to declare that the emperors were God, like you, you were expected to worship the, the emperors, and if you didn't, you were disloyal, right? You were, do, do you want the enemies of Rome to be victorious over us? Why won't you worship our gods? And so they increasingly viewed Christians with hostility because of that. Let me, just, just to put flesh on this, just to give you an idea of how this played out, I want to share with you a letter. This is from history, like they have these letters from a governor named Pliny to the Roman emperor at the time, Trajan. And I believe this comes from like the, the middle of the 100s, 120s or something like that. So this is still somewhat early in the church history, but, but a few generations after the disciples. And so Pliny writes to the governor 
And he says, meanwhile, in the case of those who are denounced to me as Christians, I have observed the following procedure. I interrogated these as to whether they were Christians. Those who confessed, I interrogated a second and a third time, threatening them with punishment. Those who persisted, I ordered executed. Next slide. For I had no doubt that whatever the nature of their creed, stubbornness and inflexible obstinacy surely deserve to be punished. Don't you love it? You know, just because they wouldn't do what he said, that, that alone's enough to execute them. It says, there were others possessed of the same folly, but because they were Roman citizens, I signed an order for them to be transferred to Rome. So if you were a Roman citizen, you had to have a second level of protection, but those who weren't citizens were just executed. So, so then here's the response of Trajan. He says, you observe proper procedure, my dear Pliny, in sifting the cases of those who had been denounced to you as Christians. For it is not possible to lay down any general rule to serve as a kind of fixed standard. They are, they are not to be sought out. Um, if they are denounced and proved guilty, they are to be punished. With this reservation, that whoever denies he is a Christian and really proves it, that is by worshiping our gods, even though he was under suspicion in the past, shall obtain pardon through repentance." Get that? If, if you would just worship the gods of Rome, they would let you off the hook. Think of the pressure that could put on. And so Jesus and John is, is warning, you are going to face these types of things. People who even think that by persecuting you, they are offering a service to God. Right? They will think that they are doing what is right and good, even as they do wrong to you. They'll think they're serving God, but ultimately it says, but they really don't know me. The ultimate thing is they're doing this because they do not know who I am. They don't know the truth about God. So we go on, and um, Jesus says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. So Jesus says, you know, I tell you this so that you're ready for it, so you don't fall away. So I didn't tell you this before, and the disciples might say, Jesus, you know, why didn't you tell us this back at the Sea of Galilee before we started following you? You know, this had been good to know, you know, that this might happen. It says, well, I didn't need to tell you this before because I was with you, right? I, I could protect you. But now, of course, Jesus is going away, and he, now they will still be under his protection, under the protection through the Holy Spirit. Um, but now I'm telling you to be prepared for this. And the Paracletos whom I said, he will undergird you. He will be with you through this all. And then in verse 5, and he, he goes on to say, but now I am going to him who sent me. And he says, I know that this is going to be tough. I, I, I could see that your heart is filled with sorrow because of all that is taking place, right? And, and it's going to be a tough few days. The, you know, the disciples would see Jesus executed on the cross, and they would feel like everything they'd given their life to had, had been wrong. Like, imagine what the... And, and so until, until they saw him raised from the dead, they would have felt like it was all for nothing. And then they could see. But, but they weren't ready to understand that yet. And so he says, this, this, I know that sorrow has filled your heart. This is going to be a tough few days. Um, 
I find something really interesting. It, it's, it's just even how the Lord talks about this, right? He's, he's talking about the crucifixion and what's going to happen to him, but he doesn't say, well, you know, I'm going to be executed by Pilate or any of those things. What does he say? I'm going back to the Father. Notice the perspective. He's trying to help the disciples understand that what will happen to him is not some tragedy. It's the great victory. It's part of God's salvation plan, right? I'm, I'm going back to the Father because this is, this is the plan for how salvation's going to come is where it's heading. Then you get to, to verse 7. It says, nevertheless, I tell you, it's, it's actually to your benefit that, that I go, that, this, that we do this, that I go away and the Holy Spirit come. If I don't go away, the helper, which by what he means is the Holy Spirit, what, he, what has been called in Greek the parakletos, it's the one who comes alongside. If I, if I don't go, I cannot send him to you. Now, we talked a few weeks back about why, why is it better? Why is the ministry of the Holy Spirit better than Jesus like remaining on earth in his incarnated form after the resurrection. And I don't want to rehash that, but the question I, I heard from that is why couldn't it be both, right? Why couldn't you have the Holy Spirit and Jesus, you know, visibly here in his incarnated form? And I, I could, I don't fully have the answer for that, but I, I have the, I have this thought is what happening is Jesus is going to be exalted to be king and lord of everything, of the universe, of all creation. And so he will now dwell in the throne room of God at the right hand of the Father. So it's the exaltation of Jesus that is essential for the Holy Spirit to come. And so we got to remember that, that Jesus is being designated, declared to be the Lord, the Lord of all. And he, the Holy Spirit is going to be his agent operating within this world to do his will, to build his kingdom, to operate. So I want to switch to another question. Knowing that believers in Christ will face this kind of opposition and persecution and even death, how will God deal with those who oppose his kingdom and oppose his people? And here, maybe, maybe you've read this. Like, how, how will God, you know, God, is God going to protect his people? Will he, will he smite the evildoers that behead poor Christians? Or, you know, how is he going to set them straight, those who are doing evil to his people? And I've read the Old Testament, and God has some good ways of dealing with, with his enemies, right? I mean, I, I think our, our, uh, the Sunday school kids have been studying about the plagues, not too long ago, right? He could send plagues. You know, you want to behead my, my believers? How about a house full of frogs, right? You know, um, how about darkness coming over the whole land? Like there's, there's all those plagues. Or he could even go a little further. He's got the Elijah method, which is call down fire to burn up the, the soldiers who come to, to arrest rest you, you know? So God, God has shown, he knows how to defend his people, you know, maybe he wouldn't want to go that far. He could at least give leprosy, like, to, to those who persecute his people. Like, like Gehazi, happened to one of his people, Gehazi, right? God could do all that. But no, 
That's not the plan. What does God plan to deal with those who oppose his kingdom and oppose his people? Back to verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He will speak within their heart through the Holy Spirit. He will bring an inner conviction. The Spirit is also called the Spirit of Truth. He will speak a truth inside them to convict them and convince them that what they're doing is wrong. Convict them about the truth that they have sinned and fall short of God. Convict them so they see what righteousness looks like. Convict them so that they will know that they will have to answer to God for what they've done. So ultimately, God will work towards bringing these people to salvation. Instead of smiting them, he will bring conviction upon them, ultimately with the goal that they would see, see the truth, see the light. That's what Jesus says is the plan. He goes on to, to, to talk more about it in verse, verses 9 to 11. This is a, um, I kind of look closely at this. It, it's, it's actually a three-part structure sentence. It, there's a, a, a thing in Greek, a structure in Greek where it says like on the one hand, on the other hand, and then it really would be on the third hand. On the one hand... Um, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. So because they don't believe in me, the Spirit will convict people to try to lead them towards faith in Christ. And then on the other hand, because concerning righteousness, um, he, the Holy Spirit will try to lead followers of Christ into righteousness so that, so that the people can see what righteousness looks like. And they'll be drawn to that. And then on the third hand, right, um, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged, that he, he will help people see, the Spirit, that the, the ways of this world will ultimately lead to judgment. All these things are going to be what, what he does with this goal of bringing people into the kingdom. Rather than smiting the enemies, his goal is to, to, to work in their heart in such a way that at least some would come to believe in Jesus. Colossians 1 talks about this. And this was written by Paul the Apostle, who himself at one point was an enemy of the gospel, who, who persecuted believers in Christ. This is what he says. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. The Holy Spirit is going to be at work in us as believers and he will bear the presence of God to us. But the Holy Spirit is also going to be at work in the hearts of people in this world, seeking to draw them to Jesus in, in ways that, that we could never do on our own. And I, I was just thinking of it, like how might that work and so there's a story in, in a group I used to work for Young Life and about a thing that happened at their camp at, at, at Saranac. And so when Young Life was, they had just taken, Saranac was a new Young Life camp, but their camping before then had been in the Colorado area. And so they were trying to figure it out. And someone was very zealous 
and managed to convince some teenagers, high school kids, from New York City, gang members, to come up to camp. And the speaker was Bob Mitchell. And, and Bob was speaking. And these kids, you know, this was all new for them. They didn't have a Christian background. And so they didn't have any relationship with the leaders. Everything was so new. So they, they weren't really getting into it. And um, it says they pretty much refused to join in any of the stuff that was happening. And they stopped going to the meetings where Bob was sharing the message. Like, how do you reach people like this? Well, well, one day, these kids from New York City, um, they, they basically stole the, the big, Young Life had a large sailboat that they used, but it wasn't for the kids to use, the campers to use. They basically hijacked a large sailboat and started sailing into Saranac Lake. And um, so the waterfront people like, go get, you know, Bob, he's, he's kind of in charge and say, hey, this is happening. And so they get in a, a speedboat, they go out to where the kids are. And, it, and here's, here's how Bob handled it. He, he, he got out there and they came alongside of him and says, and, and Bob, rather than sounding the alarm, just quietly asked, how's it going, fellas? Enjoying the day? And it says, after a bit of hesitation, the guys finally admitted they didn't know how to sail a sailboat, right? They're heading out, and they don't know what to, you know, you know, the wind took them so far, but they don't know how to get back. And they were a little freaked out. Like, they're not used, they're, they're not sailors. They're not used to water. Um, they'd never been out there before. And so, yes, would you guys like a little help? I can kind of come on board and, and help you. And so they said yes to that. And so he gets in the boat with them and starts sort of, you know, all right, let's you go this way and this way to work against the wind and starts drifting them back towards the camp dock. And it says as he did it, he starts telling stories from the Bible about how Jesus was on the water with his disciples, right? He starts sharing the same messages he would have shared at club at the meeting and he starts sharing them with these guys. And they're actually listening because, right, they're, they're still freaked out about, you know. And so he, he managed to get an audience for his message in a way he could have never done on his own. That's what I mean by the Holy Spirit can, can be at work in the hearts of people to lead them, to convince them, to convict them, and to bring them to salvation. Another story is um, they made a movie out of it, it, it called Unplanned, and it's about Abby Johnson. And she was a young woman who had worked for years in an abortion facility and clinic and had, had never really helped in the direct things, uh, action of abortion, but kind of had promoted it. And then one day in a certain situation, she was needed to help with the ultrasound. And she saw for the first time what, it, what really happened and, and how the, the little baby inside tried to get away from the scissors. And it just changed her perspective completely. And she went from, I mean, it just destroyed her whole thing. It took her weeks to, to think it through. But ultimately, she, she resigned from the clinic and then just started praying for and trying to reach out to, to other women 
who were working in clinics. And she developed a ministry. And it, it's not combative. doesn't yell at anyone. It just simply, if, if a woman wants to leave their employment at a clinic, they try to help her make a transition to another job. Right? They try to help her and, and help her find a new job because that could be a very difficult thing. That's the kind of conviction that the Holy Spirit can bring. So when we go out to preach the message, we can't, we can't figure out how to persuade them, but it's not our job. The Holy Spirit's at work. The, the last section of Scripture, I'll, I'll just say, Jesus says, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Um, you know, the, basically saying the Holy Spirit will finish the job of teaching you what you need to know. The Holy Spirit will bring you the information you need at, when the time is right. And the, the Holy Spirit's not going to bring something new. He's going to be at work to bring the, the, the kingdom that I've been working to, to bring. He's, he will bear witness to me. He's not going to start something new. The Holy Spirit, in a sense, will be my agent working to bring the kingdom um, as, he, as, as I am, as this thing goes forward. So, where we started, right? We were, we were given the task of bearing witness to Jesus, but we recognize we, we cannot con- convince. And so the ultimate job of the Spirit, he's the one that can bring conviction. It says, conviction can lead to a godly sorrow, which can lead to repentance and then to eternal life. So, the, so these things are the Holy Spirit job, not ours. To convict someone from within, to, to, to see the reality of their own sinfulness. Or to Secondly, to convince, to convince someone that Jesus is really the way. I think of myself of how I went from not believing in God to being convinced that Jesus was the Son of God. And when I look backward, I can see little things that happened in my life that, that got me to the point where I was ready to hear the message. Little things that God had done so that opened my mind so that when the message came... I could respond. No one was going to convince me. But God kind of opened the door so that I was ready to see. And then third, convert. To get to the point where someone is ready to take that step. To say, yes, Jesus, I will follow you. I will trust my life to you. I, I will become one of yours. That's, those are the Holy Spirit's job. What's our job, though? We still have a role. And by pastor law, I have to use alliteration. So we did C's, now we're going to do T's. Um, First is testify, which is simply being able to talk to people about what Jesus has done in your life, right? We test, like, like you're in court, right? What do you do? You don't talk about things you don't know anything about. You talk about what you've seen and experienced. So you testify, Jesus came in my life and it changed everything. Or Jesus came in my life. Or Jesus was there when my life fell apart. Or I had done all kinds of wrong stuff and I was forgiven. Everyone has a unique testimony that they can share. Some way that God has worked in your life. Not everyone's as I was a horrible sinner and, and needed forgiven. Sometimes it's, it comes on a different way. But we all have to testify to Jesus in our life. The second thing is to teach. Now, one of my goals is I teach and try to help you understand scriptures is so that you could take it in and then you could translate it. Ooh, a fourth T. Um, 
you could translate it into normal person speak, right? People will not listen to me because I'm a preacher. I, I get that, right? You know, the people outside the church, oh yeah, you're just a preacher, I, you know. But they'll listen to you because they know you. So part of it is, is learning what Jesus is about and being able to put it in the language that your friends can say, oh yeah, that makes sense. That's part of our, our task. And then the third is, is touch, right? And, and that's simply this. No one can see the Holy Spirit. It's by inherently invisible. And the incarnated Jesus was touchable then, but now he's at the right hand of the Father. We are the ones that people can touch. We bring the message to people in a personal level. Whether it's someone needs a hug or a shoulder to cry on or someone to listen to or they need to see it lived out, we are tangible, touchable. We are within reach of people. And we're to follow Jesus in sight of this world so that when the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction, he has something to point to. It's not our job to convict or convince or convert. But may God guide us in how we can testify about Jesus, how we can teach and translate the, God, the, the Bible into the language that people we know can, can hear. And may we put it into action so that people can see and touch, have a, have a real sense of what, what it's all about. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I know that sometimes this world is going to be against us and maybe even we'll face difficult circumstances. We, we thank you that you've sent the Holy Spirit, that we do not face this alone and that, that you're not willing to let this world perish, but that you want to send out the message so that even those who oppose you now might one day become those who, who turn to you and, and love you and follow you. So Father, we just pray we would see it. We would see lives change because of the good news. Lord, open our eyes, open, open opportunities for us to be a part of what you're doing in this world. And we ask your Holy Spirit would go work in us and go through us. In Jesus' name, amen.